You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of News Talk 770. Welcome back to The Strong Room, presented by Macmillan Estate Planning. Trust and estate planning specialist Sherry McMillan says a vital part of estate planning is knowing how to minimize the taxes. One of the things to think about is Canada Revenue Agency, the IRS, they don't let us retroactively change our mind about how we strategized last year and fix it up at the end of the year. Alternatively, we need to be designing in that way proactively so that effectively we can file in accordance with what has actually happened. It's a new area really because of the baby boom shifting into retirement and what has always happened historically is when we were in our working careers, um, we were just provided our T-slip by our employer. Um, If we were self-employed, we controlled it through our corporation. And so there wasn't a lot of uh, proactivity that we could conjure up uh, to find a solution to minimize our annual taxation. So what has happened, though, is as we are coming into retirement shifts, many of us are looking at receiving pensions. We're receiving our RIF programs or RSP drawdowns. We're receiving rental revenue, maybe some business income. And so we have a combination today in modern society of income levels. It's not just one source of income anymore. And so how do you control it and what do you use first and which sequential order so you get the most value out of your estate through the retirement phases of life? If you use one asset out of order, you could actually give up a substantial taxation that you really didn't even owe. And so this is why families need to look at this as a proactive approach because we don't work really diligently to create an estate to not get the optimal benefit from that estate in our retirement. Um, Many of us have built a very nice career for ourselves and we enjoy what we do. We have a society today of people selecting what they love to do, not just going to work anymore. And because of that, what we're seeing is a change. And we're not seeing a shutdown in retirement like our parents group, where we just utterly stop working. Instead, what we're seeing in a more common approach is that people that love what they're doing are continuing, maybe on a slower basis, maybe part-time. Some people are going full out into quite late decades of life. And so that changes the old pattern of, I've shut down my revenue stream from employment or from my business and now I'm going to just only draw my pension and so that should be a very good tax strategy in principle. But what's happening is that's not the reality of many of us today. In modern society, we're continuing to work and do what we love and so we're still getting the paycheck and yet we do have Canada pension planning started, old age security starting. Um, in some cases, for my clients that are beyond 71, they have a RIF program that must come to them. Uh, Some people have defined contribution programs and pensions that started and they were forced to take early retirement. So we have all these combinations of income. The other one that's a common source of income for many families in modern times is rental revenue that is happening from some of their recreational properties that they've bought or potentially some rental properties they have. And again, that's another pool of wealth. So there are strategies, however, to help you sequentially spend certain values first in retirement and defer others until later retirement when you don't have such high income being created. And what you want to do is you want to get the most value from every dollar 
dollar that you receive in that retirement pool. And so there's techniques like, as strange as it is, even though you're past the age of 65, what's wrong with contributing to an RSP and continuing to do that to minimize your taxation so that you do receive other benefits that go along with it? The insights of the founder and CEO of McMillan Estate Planning, Sherry McMillan. This is the March 4th edition of The Strong Room on News Talk 770. And Sherry notes, it's important to understand the difference between how Canada and the U.S. tax an asset base. can be taxed on an annual basis as we're going through life each calendar year. And then, of course, it can be taxed in the year of death when we pass on. That's the second tier tax that we have. Now in Canada, from an estate planning point of view, we have both annual tax, but we actually don't have an inheritance tax in Canada. When we die, we pay simply on the gains of on our assets that we have not yet paid income tax on. So it's only one tier of tax truly. Unfortunately, in America, it doesn't work like that. The IRS has what we call an inheritance tax. And what it means in English is this. I have my annual tax that I pay the IRS. And then if I die in my estate, I also have an inheritance tax on the value of my estate. Not on the gain on my estate, but on the value of my estate. So if my estate is in the markers of millions, let's say I have a $10 million estate, there's potential $4 million tax burden attached to it. Ouch. It's about 40%. So you do not want to get caught in this situation, of course. So a very unique opportunity that we have internationally and not just in Canada. And so that's the beauty of these tools that we have. In the area of estate planning, we call it life planning. Uh, We use a mechanism called trust. And a trust is really a separate family member that we can elect its jurisdiction. We can decide where it lives, what it does, and how behaved it might be. And so it's a really unique opportunity, a real blessing, really, in tax legislation for us to be able to utilize this tool. And so frequently, we use these kinds of mechanisms to address families that are living an international uh, point of view. And many of us are in modern times. It's a really common um, situation for many of us today. So one of the techniques that we utilize when we want to buy recreational property in another jurisdiction, and then we're going to have an inheritance tax uh, that would be associated with that asset is prior, and this is the trick, it has to be prior to the purchase of the property. We actually set up an appropriate mechanism that that jurisdiction would recognize. So for example, we would set up a U.S. trust, we would purchase the property inside of the trust. Trusts don't die, people do and people trigger the tax. And so one of the unique opportunities is I could put a recreational property into trust for my spouse and I, and then we would have use of it for both lifespans, whoever lives the longest. And then when we transfer it to the next generation, it wouldn't be until they actually literally sell it and then actually have the capital, of course, to pay the tax associated with the property's growth. And so it's a much more protective way for us to still enjoy a warm climate in our winter months, um, but not to give up value out of our estates unnecessarily. Now, interestingly enough, this is another real need for many of us as families because a lot of our children don't remain in the jurisdiction they were born. 
So I don't know um, when we're thinking out loud, but if you think about all your cohorts, how many of their children actually reside, you know, within a few blocks like it used to be in in the good old days? Most of the time, our children become very successful if they don't move across, um, particularly across Canada, for example, to Ontario or Vancouver. Sometimes they move into the United States. Many people are now traveling abroad and, and living in areas with oil and working abroad. I mean, it's not uncommon to hear about a family where two children have gone to Australia and only one is here. So this causes a different tax regime in your estate design because wherever your child resides is where we have to contend with how they inherit. And each place and each jurisdiction has a different tax regime on how your children and grandchildren may inherit. So one of the more uh, challenging areas in the world, of course, is America because they have inheritance tax. So if I want to leave a $5 million estate to my successful uh, engineer son who lives down there, I all of a sudden have to think about, well, will I lose half of it before I give it to the children and grandchildren? Or is there a way in which I can plan so that they keep it? Really, to me, um, families that have an international um, Situation where they have assets internationally or children internationally, the best thing they can do for their spouse, their children, their grandchildren is actually build a plan. It's the cheapest way to minimize their income tax that they're going to be facing as a family unit. You cannot be reactive in these kinds of situations. If you don't have a plan designed, a life plan like we always talk about, a plan to address those assets, a plan to pay whatever minimal tax that we can create for you in the estate design, then we will lose assets and we will lose valuable assets that have sentiment in the family. And we call it losing significance, but it it's legitimately the case is we don't work our whole life to create a farm operation. We don't work our whole life to all of a sudden have the recreational property in the last couple of decades of life and then to lose it to income tax. So the, a theme that is really uh, illuminating here is, is the practicality of it, how, how well trusts work. Well, there's nothing more frustrating when you're already in distress because you've lost someone you love to now have to contend with government agency, chartered banks, the legalities of things. I mean, we don't want to do that in our best health and on our best days. And then to aggravate the situation, we're in emotional distress and now we have, you know, petty forms to fill out. And if we don't cross the T properly or dot the I, the paperwork gets rejected. We start over again. I mean, this is a common practice when we look at estates, what really happens to families. And it's so frustrating. And one of the other real risks of appointing somebody um, as the executor of the will when we're looking at probate is that poor person has been put into the corner because ultimately if they don't get things done in a timely basis, the remainder of the beneficiaries, the other family members usually point the finger like what is taking so long? How come we're not receiving the estate so rapidly? One of the things that we want to do when we have created wealth as families is we want to have some privacy around owning that wealth and what we have and what we're up to. And so we don't necessarily want everybody to know that we've just bought the lakefront property or that the business has just expanded. Um, We may want some privacy around that. 
Unfortunately, when we utilize a will process, because our estate is public at that juncture when we transfer it, then it has exposure to the open community. So in theory, I could find out what my someone's net worth is. And when families have created this kind of net worth, they want to have a measure of privacy and protection. And so it's also a very unique privilege to have our estates within a trust because a trust is a, a private legal protective stance when we wrap it around our asset base that nobody can look in and actually see what our net worth is or what our asset base is comprised of. Sherry McMillan will be hosting the next McMillan Estate Planning Life and Legacy Seminar Thursday evening, March 30th. We welcome you to pre-register online at macmillanestate.com or call the Macmillan offices during business hours, Monday to Friday at 403-266-6464. This is The Strong Room.